We are in this series called uh, Walk the Line, where we're walking the line of our identity. We're taking the journey of our identity. And uh, the, the core question of this series is what would saints do? Right? What would saints do? In my situation, with my decisions, with my daily life, what would a saint do? And not necessarily in the big stuff, but in the small stuff, in the everyday. Given my typical day, what would a saint do? Because if we get that question right, then the big stuff will fall into place. The key verse of this series is Ephesians 4.1. Therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. We all have one calling, and that calling is to be a saint. And as we have an identity, that identity will come out as we walk in this life. As we live in this life, our identity will come out. So whatever your identity is, whatever you see your identity as, I think I just disappeared. Okay, whatever you see your identity as, that is what you act like. That's what you act like. So your actions give you away. Your actions betray your identity, your true identity. You know, uh, one time, one time when I was in high school, we were going on a on a on a on a youth trip, and I, maybe it was it was college. I was an intern. I don't know that it, it all kind of goes together, but. We were going on a trip, I think it was a ski trip, long trip, long bus ride, long van ride, whatever, and, and um, we, were, we were in the trip, uh, on the trip, and the, uh, there's a girl, and she was talking and talking and talking and talking and talking and talking and talking, <clears throat> and eventually they were giving her a hard time, like, you need to be quiet, and she covered my mouth, <laughs> That doesn't work. That doesn't help. That, you know, it's your mouth that we need, to, we need to cover. See, our identity will reveal who we are. And for us to, or our actions reveal our identity. And for us to act like we are hiding our identity is as crazy as trying to get yourself to shut up by covering somebody else's mouth. It just doesn't work. And we started, and Paul started in Ephesians 4 by teaching us about unity. But we walk the line of a saint as, by, by being unified inside of the body, by being unified, by being one. We have one God, we have one Lord, we have one Holy Spirit, we have one faith, we have one baptism. One, 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 one. We're not 70 people going for one mission. We're one body, one person going for one mission. That's the, that's the standard of what it means to be a body. What it, be, what it means to be one, that, that we are one person going for one mission. But, even though we are unified, we do not have uniformity. We are all different. Just like our body, all of our body parts are different. As, as, as Paul said in another letter, man, what if we were all eyes? What if we were all eyes? I mean, some of you have been accused of being all hands, but that's, that's a whole different sermon, all right? What if we were all eyes? 
It looked a little weird. We might call you the Lord of the Flies or something. It just looked a little weird. We're all different parts of the body. We all have different personality gifts. And as Paul was teaching us uh, last week, we took a look at all the different personality gifts that God gives us. These are basic operational system type of things. These are things that we default to. When we come, come across a situation, when we walk in life, these are the things that we default to. A lot of people talking about, hey, we need to get out of our comfort zone. We need to challenge ourselves and get out of our comfort zone. A lot of times, that we're really how we mean that is we need to get out of our basic personality gifts, which is false. Just false. We'll find our strength given to us by the Spirit by, by walking in our core personality gifts. And those are the apostles. How do I advance it? Hard chargers, goers, entrepreneurs, the prophets. How do I obey it? They're the compliant. They're like, God said it, so let's do it. Then we've got the evangelists. How do I share it? They're the influencers, the gatherers, the ones that, the, the ones that want to tell about the victory of Jesus to others. They just have this insatiable desire to do that. Then we have the pastors, the people that care for us. They want to make sure that everybody's needs are met. And we have the teachers, the, the, the ones that break it apart and understand it. How do I understand it? How do, how, 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 do I, how do I get this to its most basic level so that I and others can get it? And what brings our body into, into maturity is the fact that we have a unified diversity. And that all of these parts work together. And all of these personalities work together to lift each other up. As I talked about it last week. I'm high in apostolic and prophetic gifts. And each one of those alone are kind of like hugging a porcupine. So when you combine the two, it's like hugging a porcupine with arsenic sauce on it. It just doesn't work real well. But that's where the evangelists come in. It's where the pastors come in. That none of, no, no one of us has to have all five giftings because we're all one. We just do what we do. And God gives these gifts for two reasons. To rescue and to rebuild. To rescue people who are on the scrap heap and to rebuild them. Because Jesus takes us off the scrap heap and puts us in the winner's circle, right? He rebuilds us so that we end up in the winner's circle. It's kind of like Wreck-It Ralph. Right? Wreck-It Ralph. Ralph. Easy for me to say. Elmer Fudd. When they created the car and it came out, Ralph is like, oh, I'm so sorry if it's a disaster. But Penelope was like, oh, it looks great. And she took that car and put it in the winner's circle, right? From the scrap heap to the winner's circle. How do we go on that journey? What does it look like to go from the scrap heap and be rebuilt so that you end up in the winner's circle? This is what today's sermon is going to be about. About maturity. About growing. 
Because you can't just take it off the scrap heap. You've got to rebuild it. So how do we rebuild it? As we, as we talk about this journey, as we use a lot, utilize this metaphor of, metaphor of journey and vacation and going somewhere, it's much more fun to go somewhere with others, right? The fun parts are more fun. The funny parts are more funny. The frustrating parts are more frustrating. Until five years down the line when you can actually laugh about going in jail. But anyway, I'm sorry to talk about your spring break. but <laughs> Why did some people look at other people when I said... Anyway. <laughs> it's more fun with others. It's more enjoyable with others. The journey is better with others. And this is what Paul is getting at. Let's reread Ephesians 4, 11, and 12. Let's pick up to where we're going. Now, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. Now, who gets these gifts? Remember, who gets these gifts? Everyone, right? Everyone. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work and build up the church, the body of Christ. What's the work? To rescue and rebuild. So these gifts not only rescue and rebuild, but they equip others to rescue and rebuild. We go on this journey together. Go on this journey together. So in order to get off the scrap heap into the winner's circle, we have to build it. We have to build the car. In order to go on a journey, we need a transportation device. We have to build it. Ephesians 4.13 This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. We continue until we are mature in the Lord. We've got to build it. We've got to build maturity in each other. In each other. Anybody in the 90s probably watched uh, Home Improvement? Right? And Tim the Tool Man Taylor was always tinkering on his hot rod that was in the garage. Always tinkering. Always working on it. Sometimes he worked on it alone. Sometimes he worked on it with other people. He'd come to a part where he'd get stuck and he brought somebody in and what do I do and what do I do with this and, and he'd bring Alan or some, you know, one of his kids was helping him. But also he had this stuff in life that he was tinkering with. Who did he go to for that? Wilson, right? Wilson, the guy that we only saw the eyes of, right? He'd always go to the fence and talk to Wilson. We're always tinkering on this. We're always tinkering on our maturity. We're always tinkering. Maybe we have those things that we tinker on in life. Maybe it is a car and an engine for you. For me, it's my yard. You don't want me to get a hold of your car. You, know, you don't want that. For me, it's my, the, 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 the yard. Always mowing or putting seed in or fertilizing or watering. Just tinkering, getting it better, getting it better and getting it better. I get frustrated because I can't do it all at once, right? And, and, and when we tinker with stuff, it gets frustrating because we want it to the standard that we want it, but we want it now. We want it now. At least that's for me. But I have the patience of like a squirrel, so maybe you're different. 
whatever patience a squirrel has. Do you know? Not very much, right? When they cro- <laughs> I was going to go with the car analogy, but because you know, <laughs> like it goes in the road and you're going and, and it decides to come back across. It just doesn't have very much patience. So anyway, maturity, tinkering, that's right, tinkering, tinkering, tinkering. When we are tinkering with something, we have a standard that we are going for. We have a standard that we're going for. And in our spiritual life, our standard is Jesus. Our standard is Jesus. Like, oh, well, um, that makes me feel better. Thank, thank you. That's perfection. Good. That's, that's good. How am I supposed to get there again? See, this is where this concept of tinkering is vital. Because if we feel like that we have to get there immediately, we're going to get frustrated. But with maturity, it's always tinkering. We're always tinkering with it. We're always getting better. We're always growing. And we need other people to tinker on us. Now, not tinkle, tinker, okay? Important distinction, all right? We've got to make sure we make that distinction. But we're always tinkering. Always tinkering. Always getting better. Always maturing. And the standard that Paul gives us is the standard of Christ. And we continue until we reach this standard. We continue until we reach the standard. So as soon as you and I get to the standard of looking like Christ, exactly like Christ, you can stop tinkering. Anybody done yet? Anyone ready to stop? Anyone done? Anyone living? Anyone dead? Once we hit that standard, we can stop. But what are we going for? What what does this maturity look like? Unity in faith. Unity in faith. So that we all come to such unity in our faith. Our faith breeds unity. Our faith in God breeds unity in each other, but our faith in each other breeds unity in each other. One of the reasons why I like soccer is that if you watch a soccer match from above and see it played the way it's supposed to be played, it it looks like 11 players all attached by a string moving with one motion. Really, no other sport's like that. That the entire team for the entire game has to move in one motion together. And what makes that work is faith in each other. A guy's got the ball and he, he, he makes a pass before the player gets there or before he even sees the player. He makes the pass because he has faith that the player will be there. His teammate will be in that spot. And the teammate makes the run and gets in the position because he has faith that the teammate will pass the ball to that spot, that location, before he's even passed it. And the more they do that, the more faith they have in each other. And the more faith that they have in each other, the more unity that they have. 
And so when we have faith in God, and we have faith in each other, we'll come into more unity. Because we'll trust that the other person will be where they need to be, and they will do what they need to do, and that they will trust us that we will be where we need to be, and that we will do what we need to do. Because we all have the same manual, right? Right? Well, this all have the same playbook. When an NFL team comes into camp, what do they do? They get their playbook. It's all the same playbook that tells each player exactly where to be at any given point in time. And we all have the same playbook. I would hold up my iPad, but I mean, that just doesn't work as well. You know? We all have the same playbook, the Bible. So we all know where each other's supposed to be. Your secrets are ratted out by God. We all know where we're supposed to be. And when we have faith in God, and we end up where we're supposed to be, we end up growing in faith in each other and growing in unity in each other. But also maturity means that we come into a greater knowledge of God's Son. And we're going to beat this drum and beat it and beat it and beat it. Knowledge isn't a head trivial pursuit knowledge that you can win in trivial pursuit or you can win in, 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 in I know my Bible better than a fifth grader or whatever that show is that Foxworthy has now. But it's relational knowledge. That we have a relationship with Jesus. And we're always growing in that relationship with Him. See, we know smart people that are immature. High IQ. Low EQ. Emotional. Quotient. We all know them. We all make fun of them. We made a show after them. The Big Bang Theory. Right? That's kind of become Nicole and my guilty, new guilty pleasure, the Big Bang Theory. Like, see, we, we, we don't want to have a high intelligence about the Bible, but a low emotional intelligence about how to live it. See, that's immaturity. That's still immaturity. If we have a high intelligence about the Bible but don't know how to live it, that's immaturity. We can sit in church at Sunday in, Sunday out for 80 years and still be immature because we don't really have a relationship with Jesus. We know all about Him, but we don't have a relationship with Him. And it's this relationship with Jesus and unity in the faith that builds us up and gives us maturity so that we can come and always be moving towards the standard that is Jesus. This is what it means to faithful follow. Faithfully follow. And to faithfully follow today. Don't idolize a five-year version of yourself. Faithfully follow today. Wherever you're at, whatever maturity you're at, wherever maturity I'm at, faithfully follow today. Don't go after a five-year version of yourself. Faithfully follow today. But it's not enough to build a car, right? If we buy all cheap parts and put it in a car, what will happen? 
It'll break down when we most need it. If we buy all cheap parts and put it in, it'll break down. Then we'll have to buy that part and fix everything that that part broke. We have to build it strong. We can't just build a car. We've got to build it strong. We've got to put good parts in it. We've got to, we've got to put what is right in it. Ephesians 4.14 then we will no longer be immature like children. Paul, tell us what you really mean. <laughs> we won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try and tr- trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. Are we strong? Are we building it strong? See, we need truth in order to build it strong. We can't just build anything into the car. We have to have truth built into the car. If you're getting your theology from Facebook, it's probably cheap parts. If you're getting your theology from the late night guy on TV, it's probably cheap parts. Are we interacting with God's Word on our own and with each other? Are we really trying to find out what He says about life and and build our life around that? We're building our life around the truth, the cornerstone of Christ. That's what it means to be the cornerstone, for Christ to be the cornerstone. He is the first stone and everything else is laid plumb with the first stone. Where are we getting our truth? Where are we getting our parts? Are they strong parts? Are they weak parts? And what kind of quantity are we getting our parts in? What if I took you out after church to have the best steak in Republic? I can. I've got to go. So, I, you know, this is not a you know, hypothetical. Set you down and had that steak and you ate it and all the trimmings and that's good. That's good. Like, yeah, did you should enjoy that. Yeah, that's good. Now I'll tell you what. <clears throat> tell you what. Don't eat the rest of the week. Next Sunday, take it back out, and we'll have the best steak in Republic again. You'd look at me like I was nuts, right? Like, I can't do that. I can't do that. But isn't this what we do with our spiritual lives? Every Sunday, we show up, get this best steak in Republic. Get the best steak we can get. And we show up the next week and get another steak. But starve ourselves throughout the week. Are we reading and feeding ourselves throughout the week? Are we coming together with other people to have disciple-making relationships throughout the week so that we can mature each other, so that we can be strong and give each other strong parts and, 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 and not be tossed around by any just new teaching? What are we doing? What do we make a priority of? Because we can easily use, I don't have time. But guess what? We all make time for what's a priority. Not really hard to make time for going to the bathroom, is it? It becomes a high priority. We make time. I'm just too busy. 
So what do you do with it? We make time for whatever is a high priority in our life. Do we make time to build our life strong by engaging with God? By engaging with other people so that we can build each other strong. It's where disciple-making relationships come into play. We intentionally utilize something, a different concept than small groups because we think 10 to 12 in a circle, etc. You know what? A couple guys over coffee? It's a disciple-making relationship, isn't it? Couple people, lunch break at work. Disciple making relationship, right? Couple people tinkering on a car together or knitting or whatever. Disciple making relationship, right? See, I wanna I wanna lower the bar in one instance because because we might go, I don't I just don't have time or it's the summer, etc. For 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 that where we kinda think of small group, but, but I want to raise the bar in another instance to say all it needs to be are people who A, love Jesus, and B, want to know what he says, and C, want to mature each other. Are we engaging with somebody and trying to make them more mature and them trying to make us more mature? Taylor, Taylor and I meet every week in, the, in, in this type of relationship to be able to engage with each other and grow each other with each other. And Taylor asks me questions. And you know what? Questions aren't bad. Questions show engagement. Because if you read the Bible, you'll have questions. Questions show engagement. Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen says this: "As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend." We kind of romanticize that verse, and we kind of, you know, oh, that's all cute and everything. Well, <clears throat> what happens when iron strikes iron? Sparks. Sparks fly. When iron sharpens iron, sparks fly. When two solid things strike each other, sparks fly. In order to sharpen something, sparks have to fly. So when two people get together and challenge each other, sparks will fly. But it's good because you're sharpening each other. This is what Paul is talking about. Speak the truth in love. Now, this verse actually kind of makes me nervous. This sentence makes me nervous a little bit because we actually use this verse to be jerks for Jesus. As long as I say something like, you know what, brother? I say this in Christian love. We can pretty much say whatever we want to say. Because I just said, I love him. Well, he's going, you do? This doesn't mean we become jerks for Jesus. Or another word that I'd rather say, but can't. Be donkeys for Jesus for something, you know. We have to speak the truth with love. Who is our standard? It's Jesus. So let's look at his life. 
when he engaged John 3 with Nicodemus, what did he lead with? He lead, led with truth. Nicodemus, you're, you're a teacher of God's people, but you don't understand this stuff. He led with truth. He was loving, but he led with truth. John 4, with the woman at the well. What did he lead with? He led with love. Hey, can I get some of that water? What are you, what are you doing talking with me? If you knew who you were talking with, you would ask me for the water that gave eternal life. He led with love. Then she asked about the eternal life. He got truthful with her. He, he, he poked the spot that was keeping her from eternal life. Hey, um, you know those five husbands you had? And you know the guy you're sleeping with now, he's not your husband. Then what did he do? He let her change the subject. He backed off. Like, ah, we'll, we'll get there anyway you want to get there. He led with love in the community. He led with truth with religious people. A lot of times we get that backwards. We lead with truth in the community. And we lead with love with religious people. Speaking the truth in love. And what does that do? That grows us in every way more and more like Christ who is the head of the body the church. See, when babies are born, their heads are like 25% of their uh, size, length, and mass. The reason why they can't walk is because their heads are too big. Weebles wobble, but they do fall down. Their heads are too big. They have to grow into their head. But their head also serves as a weightlifting device. It strengthens them. Their head strengthens them so that they can then walk. That's what Jesus is. Cross point, our head's too big. We need to grow into our head. We need to grow into Christ. We need to mature. But our head strengthens us so that we can mature as well. Our head's too big. We need to grow into our head. And it takes each other to do that. Because we can't just build a car strong. We just can't get the best parts and put them all together just any old way. We have to build it well, right? We have to build a car well. How many times, if you watch any sort of racing at all, even if it's just a little bit each year, you've probably heard something like, you know what, there was a $2 part that went out and it knocked them out of the race. Or they didn't t- tighten a lug nut, so they had to come back into the pits. They can't just buy the best parts and put them together any old way. You have to put it together well. We're starting to, to, to come into a relationship with the church plant in Clever and, and, and support them and undergird them and, and, and help them out. And the lead planter, the lead pastor there, he races cars over here at the airport speedway, kind of uh, getting into that. He said the first race this year, he had a hose that they didn't put in properly and it came loose and it knocked him out of the race. Hose, probably a couple dollar part, knocked him out of the race. 
It's not good enough to just get strong parts. We have to build it well. Ephesians 4.16. He, Jesus, makes the whole body fit together perfectly. Fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow. So the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Jesus makes sure that our body fits together perfectly. That it's put together well. It's not just strong, but it's put together well. We follow Jesus. We mature other people. Other people are maturing us. Our body is going to start fitting together perfectly. If we do our own special work, the special work that God has for us, our body will fit together perfectly. You may be like, eh, I don't feel like it's that big. You know what? It doesn't matter. It's a special work, so it's big. It's big. It's huge. It's a special work. And when we do our special work, we grow each other. We grow each other. When I run, my legs do most of the work. But my whole body benefits. When I eat, my hands and my mouth do most of the work. But my whole body benefits. When each of us does our own part, no matter how big or how small, when we do our own part in a big way, the entire body benefits and grows and matures and it fits together perfectly. So the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Love is what's, what, what gets us there. See, love, or truth can be used as a weapon. Love can never be used as a weapon. Right? I'm going to love you to death. I guess we have that term, but it's kind of crazy, right? Now, I can truth you to death, but I can't love you to death. Love is a special ingredient. Those of you King, Kung Fu Panda watchers, love is a special ingredient. We all fit together the way we need to fit together. God has put us together in such a way for this time to be able to rescue and rebuild. To be able to stream non-fans to God. To be able to take people off the scrap heap and move them into the winner's circle. What does God want to do in your life? Use you to mature others. Use others to mature you. And to repeat until full maturity. Since we got religious people here, one last word of truth. We use the term impact team or impact teams on purpose. I kind of get scared of the word ministry. Not that it's unbiblical, but that today we've hijacked that term 
And it's kind of code word for, how are you going to serve me? A lot of times when people ask, what ministries do you have? It's code word for, how are you going to serve me? Now, if you're a non-fan, if you're, if you're just kicking the tires of this church thing and figuring out Christ or just coming back, that's an appropriate question for you to ask. We are here to serve you. But if we are Christians, that is an immature question to ask. If we sit here and go, how are you going to serve me? That's immaturity. And just like anything, anything times zero equals zero, anything times Im- immaturity is immaturity. The proper question to ask is, how am I going to serve you? Because it's kind of amazing that when we step into the game and say, how am I going to serve you? You look around and realize that everybody else is asking that question as well. And you find that when we actually get into the game and start serving, that's when we find that everybody else is actually serving me. But if we sit there and let everybody else serve us, here's what will happen 99 times out of 100. At some point in time, they will let us down and not serve us the way that we expect to be served. And what will we do? We'll get ticked and leave. And go to the next spot until they let us down. And we'll get ticked and leave. And then we'll go to the next spot. And the next spot. And the next spot. But, for arm in arm together, as Paul said earlier on in this chapter, we'll have patience with each other. We'll have gentleness with each other. Because we know that I am here to serve you. And lo and behold, you are here to serve me. And we do this until full maturity. So what does God want to do with you? Use you to serve others. Use others to serve you. And repeat until full maturity. Here's your challenge. And here's my challenge. God wants to use you to mature somebody. So who is that? Specifically, who is that? I don't know. I'd be praying about that. Asking God, who am I supposed to mature? Obviously, inside of our own family, mature each other. But who outside of your family are you supposed to mature? When God reveals that to you, come close to them. Let them mature you, you mature them. And do that this summer. It's not rocket science. Not intended to be. Just talk about what God's doing. Talk about what He's saying to you through His Word. Talk about people that you need to rescue off the scrap heap. Talk about people you're supposed to serve. Mature each other. Who is that? That's your assignment if you choose to accept it. Because if you do, we'll be built, we'll be built strong, and we'll be built well. Let's pray. 
Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this time. Lord, you want us to grow into our head, Christ. That's our standard. That's what we have. That's who we have. Use all of us to do that inside of all of us. Build us, build us strong. Build us well. It's your name that we pray. Amen. As the band plays, who is it? Who is it? Do you have a name? You need to pray for a name. Do you have a name that you haven't initiated the relationship with? Talk to them right now if you can. Don't get out of here. Don't put it off. Go talk to him now. Otherwise, be praying. Who is it that you're supposed to be maturing? Go ahead and stand as we sing.